work and then kind of pull the creative from there. Gotcha. Love that. Thanks for sharing. Alex, what's your thoughts? How do, how do you typically approach problems, at least initially? Oh, well, that makes me think of a saying that I learned that to the novice, there are many solutions. To the master, there are few. Hmm. I tend to be more creative because I'm more of a novice still, I think, than some of the masters of my profession. So it's interesting, but it's not always the best thing that the novice will come up with. So it might be creative, but it's not necessarily the best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I like what you're, what you're saying there in, in just, and maybe a caution too, is sometimes when we do get very experienced in an area, I think sometimes we hold ourselves back from that creative thing because we think we've seen it all or we've maybe uh, gone through that in multiple ways. And I think, at least I know in my case, I think I am also, I'm a, I'm a lot more creative and I'm a lot more open to new ideas if I don't know that much about it versus if I think I'm an expert on it. Um, I tend to be a little more closed off to those ideas maybe. And sometimes that can hold us back from some of the best best ideas in keep us kind of in the routine of what we've always done, right? So I don't know, I kind of like that idea as well. Um, so there's a couple of quotes here that I'd like to share, but before I get into those that I, I found, let's just start with the chapter three first on the, on the creative thinking. Christy or Alex or Diane has joined us as well. Would would either of you guys, any of you guys uh, have any of the quotes or any, any section of it that really stuck out to you that says, wow, that, that's really uh, something that I, I think it would benefit me if I looked at creative thinking in that way? I liked the very first heading quote where it said, the joy is in creating, not in maintaining or something like that. Yeah. I was like, oh man, that's so true as a... As a software engineer, maintaining is not fun. <laughs> Maintenance is a chore, you know. You want to build something new and create something and create a solution to a problem, but then that solution has to be maintained by somebody because as things change, you have to be able to, to adjust with those changes. Absolutely. But that really stuck out to me. Thank you, Alex. Christy, were there any parts of the chapter or even in the? Um, uh, no, I loved the, I loved the first one by Vince Lombardi as well. Um, and I definitely can relate to Alex's, Alex's thought on that. Um, no, because I think everything, when you look at everything, I love how, um, how, um, what was it, Annette Wellman, when she talked about creative thinkers, um, value ideas. And I think that's a big thing too, because her, her statement says highly creative people are dedicated to ideas. They don't rely on their talent alone. They rely on their discipline. Their imagination mm -hmm. is like second skin. Um, they know how to manipulate it to its fullest. Um, and you only get those ideas when you value ideas. And, and I think that that's a, that's a good thing because a lot of times um, in different industries that I've been in, somebody will come up with this idea and it's just like, you know, they've got, all these ideas on the table, but they don't really know the value of it. 
and how to get it from, you know, like a thought process to, you know, conception to realization. Um, and you can, you can have a great idea, but not know, not know where it needs to go. So you need to kind of process out your creative thought. I like that. Yeah. I had also underlined that idea. You will have ideas only if you value ideas. And mm-hmm. I think not only with yourself, but certainly with uh, any people that you lead or work with, you know, not only valuing your own ideas, but valuing their ideas as well. Um, right. And that's, that's definitely something that I think, you know, just being open to other people and other people's ideas, it kind of goes back to last week's discussion on big picture thinking and, and bringing in ideas from multiple thoughts, I think is so important. Any other ideas or anything else that came out of the reading that really stuck out to you guys? I like that uh, it talks about creativity as a renewable resource, kind of Mm -hmm. is what it says. Was that Maya Angelou? Maya Angelou? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the... uh, It's on page 28? Yeah, it's also in that Mm -hmm. um, guide thing. Yes. Yeah, you can't use up creativity the more you use, the more you have. That's a neat idea. Absolutely. And have you guys found, um, I'm thinking just in brainstorming, but even in masterminding, you know, one thought that I had before we started today was the idea that when you have, and somebody had brought up years ago, but I love the way they explained it. They said the mastermind is one person has one mind. And if you have another person, they've got their own mind. And they can come up with their own thoughts together. But when you bring them together and you start to talk and you start to maybe, I like the term explore, but either explore or create, then it creates what they, and this is what the person termed the mastermind. There becomes this third mind that was not yours and it was not theirs, but it's kind of this third mind that is developed as you, as you begin to work together and, and obviously, the more people you bring into a mastermind group mm-hmm. to a point, that becomes a very interactive and very growing uh, type of, of a capability. And, and uh, what, what a true statement that when, when you're creative, it doesn't tap out, especially if you involve others, you tend to just exponentially grow that. Thank you, Alex. When I um, in my pre in my previous career life, when I was in um, the advertising world, we would have think tanks once a week, oh, yeah. um, and because we'd all be working with different clients, but we'd have an idea for something, and it was just amazing because you could feel like a block. You'd just be sitting there going, "Oh, what am I going to do with this? How am I, you know, not necessarily the delivery. You didn't even have it all the way through conception yet." But sitting in there with multiple minds who mm-hmm. worked in maybe not the area that you were working on with, you know, that, that, uh, that company, they may have been working with somebody in education and you're working with a car dealership. Um, but just the play off of that, because you could say something and somebody else might say, oh, have you thought about doing this? Or have you thought about doing that? And, <laughs> and it's just the allowing the, you know, the creativity to flow. And it, and it kind of takes you back, you know, when you were a kid and you have Legos or you could just be as creative as you wanted to be. I, I mean, it was, you know, it's your story and how you're going to develop it. But yeah, getting, getting everybody's perspective because you have your own perspective from your experiences and you haven't experienced everything. 
So by allowing other people to be a part of that process, I think is huge. I love that. And, and I, I love what you brought up there too. And I think it goes to what Alex talked about the very first. Does it have to be somebody that is experienced in your area that can help you be more creative in the way you think about your area of expertise? Nope, not always. Sometimes the blind eye is the better eye. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's my thought anyway. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, the thing. If you, don't, if you don't know the limitations, then they don't limit you. Well, that's a great, great way to look at that. I like that saying, if you don't know the limitations, how did you say it? If I don't know the limitations, I don't know that it's there to limit me. Yeah, pretty much. If you don't know the limitations, they don't limit you. They don't limit you. I like that. Perfect. Um, and I, that kind of goes to I, one of the parts that I just, usually when I read, just I'll let you into kind of the, my way I, I my book looks looks like a mess. I, I scratch in it. I write little thoughts and quotes and, and questions in there. But there's one that go ahead and just read. There's one in, that I've got in there that um, on page 31. It's the second one. It says, "Think creatively by asking the right questions." And the the piece that I had here. Uh, it's, it's Sir Anthony J, and he says, the uncreative mind can spot wrong answers, but it takes a creative mind to spot wrong questions. Wrong questions shut down the process of creative thinking. They direct thinkers down the same old path, or they chide them into believing that thinking isn't necessary at all. And, um, and, I, and just beyond that, on page 32, um, I wrote down imagination stimulation questions and and a lot of it is just like kind of that asking why uh, type of curiosity of just, and I love kind of that idea. If you don't know what, what's the problem, then there's no problem. <laughs> if you don't know what's limiting you, then it won't limit you type of thing. And when we start asking these kind of questions, even when we think we know it, or even when the other person thinks they know it, uh, again kind of going back to that duality of thought okay we've looked at it this way and we've always kind of done it this way let's look at it this other way now and just see if maybe there's another option there or something especially if it's something where you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're negotiating or trying to compromise to come to some solution when there may be a much better solution that both of you fall in love with or many of you fall in love with that's a better situation so i really liked that um, piece there for for you guys, when you've uh, approached groups, have you found that there are things that tend to shut down creativity? Of course. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, there's definitely, definitely things that shut it down. <laughs> so I, sometimes. Oh, the one that I love right now is we don't have time. Ah. <laughs> mm -hmm. There isn't time to be creative. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the first one that came to my mind too, but I was curious what you guys said. Conversely, yeah, that, did that. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to add to what Alex says. So when, when you get that, when you don't have time to, I think the 
depending on the the structure of the organization and who's who's kind of leading the group. Um, depending the leaders, the leaders' morale, the leaders' um, trust in the group, or you know making them feel included in the situation. I, I think that's a huge driver. That's either going to really motivate them, or that's going to make them just they're going to get a feel of how that person is. And it's going to be, oh, yeah, we love your idea just because they're afraid of speaking their truth or speaking their mm -hmm. own idea um, because they, they know how that person is. Um, whereas sometimes when you bring in somebody a little bit different, they might feel a little bit more okay with being open to their, you know, suggestions. They, they won't feel ridiculed or, you know, like they're going to get shot down. Like, why should I share anything? So you get around the table and everybody's quiet. And you have the one person that's just constantly, well, how's this idea? How's this? And everybody's just shaking their head yes because they know what that person wants anyway. That that person just wants validation that their idea is the only idea. So mm -hmm. I think the the type of leader that you have in that situation is a huge thing. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, you know, that's one thing I, I preach a lot as I teach and, and work with companies, especially leaders, is how do you create a safe space where your people feel like they can give their very best thinking and give their very best yep. ideas? And there's a, there's a book that I read, uh, it's been probably four or five years ago now, but uh, the, the title of it is Smarter, Faster, Better, and it's by a guy named uh, Charles Duhigg, and he goes through a bunch of Many of them are ones we're very familiar with, um, but he goes through and kind of identifies these are um, companies that are excellent at innovation, at creation, and these are the things, these common things um, that each of these uh, different organizations, groups, teams have in common. And really, ultimately, the, the number one factor for all these teams was the leader was the kind of person that made everybody feel like their contribution was worthwhile. It was valued, going back again to valuing ideas, and that it was a safe space for everybody to contribute and not be shot down. Mm -hmm. So that was just a, a terrific uh, read, but such, such a good one on that one. Let's roll over to, to chapter four, uh, employee realistic thinking. Um, when you guys get into either the problem solving process or you're working on a project, um, how do you find that you, do you find yourself getting into this mode and what, what kind of things do you do that help you get into that mode of really kind of digging into the details and making sure that you've really thought of everything and that if there's risks that they've been identified in and addressed in some way that at least, you know, you have a plan to, to face those. I, I liked in the book how he talked about when he first started being a realistic thinker, he didn't for thinking about things. He didn't want to be a realistic thinker. Yeah. Cause he felt like it was too negative. And I tend to live in what I call the realistic space. Um, I, I would think of myself as a realist, but it does tend to make people think that you're being negative. So that really uh, resounded with me how he talked about that. 
Um, yeah, being a realist sometimes does. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's more hopeful and it's more fun in a lot of ways. And sometimes the realistic has a little bit of a negative connotation, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. But but I think in a business sense, though, you have to have the the realistic thinking too, because if you're talking about a company's you know bottom line of what's the worst case scenario if we deploy this, and and you have to look at it. What's the best case scenario, but what's the worst case? Because when money is a factor, um, a company is going to want to know. So you you don't want yeah. to you don't want to roll something out. And then say like, holy cow, we didn't even think of the implications if, you know, this group did this or this group did that. Um, yeah, you almost need to find out every possible thing that, that could go wrong, but that, that, that shouldn't stop your creativity because in a way it could make you more creative on some of your solutions that maybe you're thinking ahead now, you're getting those solutions. So that should you encounter something, you're going to know how to how to have it already set up because you don't want to be reactive in a situation, especially if it's a huge launch of, you know, a software or a huge launch of a program. Um, you know, you don't want it to crash before it even gets off the ground. Excellent. Right. As much as realistic thinkers may not be the life of the party, they're necessary. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say they're yeah. the ones that keep you out of jail or keep you from going out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Everybody, everybody's got to have a CFO, right? Yep. And, and isn't that funny how sometimes there are specific roles that, and I hate to use the term devil's advocate, but they become that person that says, you know, have we thought about this? Have we considered this? You know, what, mm -hmm. you know, really digging into, you know, let's let's look through all the pieces there that that take that on. I like that discussion a lot. Thank you. You know, th there's another piece in page 40. He talks about realistic thinking gives a target and game plan. And I kind of like the idea how, you know, creativity kind of, in my mind, sets up that that point of, of uh, where we want to go. And maybe we conceptually have a couple of ideas, but then going back to the realistic thinking, we start to lay out the goals, the specifics, you know, the steps that we need to do to, to get where we're, we're going. Um, James Allen. You know, we talked about last week the the book "As a Man Thinketh" by James Allen, but uh, they have a quote from him in here. It says, "Until thought is linked with purpose, there is no intelligent accomplishment." And just that whole idea of, you know, we have these thoughts, we have the, this creative piece of it, but then we we have the purpose, and we get very purposeful or or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional we get really intentional about it, then we, we really start to lay out those plans of how to do it. Um, the, the other thing he talked about a lot and you guys both kind of brought it up is, and I refer to it as just risk analysis coming from a project management background primarily is, you know, you look at and you ask yourself, if this was to happen, then this would be the result. And you kind of put everything in a, a, this kind of matrix of probability and consequence where now, what's the probability or what's the likelihood that it's going to happen? If it's really high, then obviously we should worry about it. But at, at the same time, if the consequence is very, very low, then boy, don't go spend you know tons of time and money to try to keep something from happening. We might just say, you know what, we're going to accept that risk. It's not that big of a deal. But if the consequence 
is extremely high, even if the likelihood that it's going to happen is fairly low, it's probably still worth uh, addressing and, and paying particular attention to. Like you mentioned, Christy, you know, if we're rolling out a software launch or we're rolling out a new product, if not only the money, but in my mind, uh, in, for many companies, your reputation as a company is at stake. If, if yep. this was to go wrong in this way, boy, we would just, it would so let down our customers that we would never, ever want that to happen. Then that's the type of thing that's uh, probably worth looking at a little bit. Any other thoughts? Well, especially, well, I was going to say too, especially in today's world with social media and everybody getting mm. instant news updates. I mean, the yes. last thing you want is something to go bad and you have everybody hashtagging your company that you failed, that you did this and trying to come back and fix that you know, is, would be a lot harder than yeah. actually having taken the precaution to kind of get it out there. Because what's, what's the first thing that happens when somebody's mad at your, you know, cell service provider or your cable provider, they are all over Twitter, hashtagging, adding them because they know they're going to get a response because the company doesn't want to have that. Um, right. You know, rather you, you don't have a thousand people a day saying, gosh, I sure love my direct TV. I love that it works every day. <laughs> you expect it to work. You expect it to work every day. Yeah. But when it doesn't work and you can't get through to customer service and you're on hold for 45 minutes, that's when you're going to hit to social media and you're going to have a little rant. And yeah. then everybody's going to join in on your rant because people have felt that same pain. So, yeah, there's just different implications, I think, you know, today, too, than than a long time ago, we don't have to wait for the news for two days to tell people what happened. You're going to know in about two minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, it, it is, it's so prevalent nowadays and it's so quick that it comes up and just people know about it right away. And that's whether you're talking business, that's even in personal life. Uh, it's, it's pretty sad the types of things that happen. I, you know, um, I, I, I work on a city council in my small town and it is unreal what the social media did in the past six months for in our city uh, in, in some negative ways. And it's just, it's sad to see council those kind of election. things happen. Yep. Absolutely. Luckily, yeah, luckily I have a lot going on and I had made a conscious decision early on in this year that I wasn't going to run again. So uh, it was nice to be able to thank everybody for the time I worked with them and, and, Tuesday night was my last night. So uh, oh. <laughs> great, great opportunity to serve my community. But at the same time, it, there's definitely a price you pay when you, when you uh, put yourself out there for sure. So um, being a public servant is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> no. yeah, there's no glory in it. That's for sure. And it's certainly not uh, well paid by any means. It's more no, of a voluntary no. position, but um, mm -hmm. You know, just as we talked about in the last one, developing an appreciation for ideas, on page 43, there was a segment here that I really, um, for me, it really stuck out a lot, and I just thought it was powerful uh, the way it talked about it, and, it's, and it said develop an appreciation for truth. And, uh, you know, just right below, at the very end of the first paragraph, there's this term, it's Ruckert's Law. And I don't believe I've ever heard of Ruckert's Law, but I, it is so true. <laughs> it says, believing, it says, they live according to Ruckert's Law, believing that there is nothing so small that can't be blown out of proportion. 
Uh, and it goes on to, for a quote to Winston Church from Winston Churchill in the next paragraph it says, Winston Churchill, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. More recently, television journalist Ted Koppel observed, our society finds truth too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder. It's a howling reproach. And that in the, at the very end, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you angry. And uh, just curious to you guys, um, sometimes when you're faced with a, an inconvenient truth, do you find that it angers you or do you find it a little hard to digest sometimes rather than just being very open and, and welcoming that kind of uh, feedback or criticism? Yeah. The, the initial response is usually, you know, well up yours. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. but. Well, and, and the self-reflection of, of that too is more, um, that we, we don't want to be seen as a failure and, mm -hmm. and whether it was professionally and you just happen to have your name tied to it, I think a lot of times it, it gets misconstrued as, as something personal and yeah. we don't want people to think that, oh my gosh, that, do they even know what they're doing? Like how much money are they making for that company? And um, so, yeah, I, I, I tend to, you know, I, I, I've had situations where I have to separate myself and say, okay, this is, this is not about me. This is something that the company was doing. And then you have to find some resolve after, but, and then you have to be very careful with your quick decision because whoever sees that quick decision, it's going to portray on you. Like, wow, there, that, that person gets hot or that person gets super fired up. Um, and you, you don't want to be that person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and for me, it's it's funny. Me and my wife have this discussion a lot because in most of my interactions with people, I I feel like I'm pretty open to um, ideas and, and thoughts and, and even just challenging uh, of the ideas that I have. But when me and my wife talk to you, I don't know if it's just because I value her opinion a lot more, but if I feel like she is uh, challenging some of my ideas, I I really take offense to it. I mean, that's kind of my default, which is completely backwards because she is the most invested in me being successful and wanting for me to accomplish good things. And so for me, that's one of those things where I have to constantly dial myself back and say, dude, she's got your best <laughs> interests at heart. You need to be open to this, not closed off to this. And usually it's that first sting that, I react to, but then I find myself coming back and saying, you're right. I'm sorry. Let's talk about this. Cause I think there's truth in what you're saying. And I think, you know, there's, there's different people that, you know, they may approach it in a horrible way. Uh, maybe no tact whatsoever to tell you something, but uh, at the end of the day, regardless of how the truth comes to us, um, when truth is spoken to us, whether it's pleasant or not, uh, sometimes we have to maybe swallow our pride a little bit and just say, you know what, there is truth to that. The perfect phrase you said there, Christy, self-reflection. Just, hey, let's go back and look at ourselves in the mirror and see if there's any truth to what they said. And if there is, yeah, maybe I need to reevaluate and, and attack that from a different direction. Yeah, 
So mm-hmm. I really, really like that idea a lot. You know, and that's one of the things, you know, as a coach, when the probably the number one thing that I help with uh, the different individuals and leaders that I work with is these two things we've talked about tonight. Number one, kind of helping them explore multiple options, different ideas, get very creative, ask questions in different ways to get them thinking differently about the problems and the challenges that they're facing, being that second person helping them break away and, and step out of that box that they might be in and, and, and feeling limited in, in their um, decision-making or in their um, idea, idea of creation. And then from that, helping them hone down and, and really ask some of those hard questions. Okay. What's going you know, what do we need to do to make sure that this can be done and, and setting up that game plan and, and building real actionable steps to help them be successful. And so I think that's one of the best things that either a good friend in this case for me, as in many cases, a coach to somebody, but just as, as we're a part of any team, just realizing that, the kind of questions we ask, I'm trying to remember if it was Aristotle or Socrates, I think it was Socrates, said that the the quality of your questions will determine the quality of your life. It seems like it should be Socrates because he had the Socratic method, right? But yeah, the, the quality of your questions, the way you question yourself, the way you get yourself thinking differently about different things will determine and shift the way you approach life. So going back to the top of the um, how successful people think uh, study guide, the unsuccessful people hope for the best. And John Maxwell in the thing says, hope is not a strategy. You know, we, we, you know, unsuccessful people, they just do not grasp this, this piece of realistic thinking that, you know what, it's got to be more than a dream. It's got to be more than an idea. I need to, build foundation under what uh, what I'm creating here before I can really move it forward into something that's that's going to help that happen. And I'm looking for the quote. There was a specific quote along that idea of yeah, building, this, uh, building the foundation, but go ahead. This idea is, for me, really defines that being intentional yeah. that I asked about last time. What does it mean to be intentional about things? It's having a strategy. It's executing. It's not hope. Hope is not a strategy, like you said. Love that. Thank you, Alex. I just found that one. It's back on page 42, right at the top. And, uh, you know, it's right after, I'm pretty sure it's right after he said you can't, uh, hope is is not a strategy, but he says you can't build a house in midair. It needs a solid foundation. Ideas and plans are the same. They need something concrete on which to build. Realistic thinking provides that solid foundation. I just, uh, I like that uh, analogy of, of building that. And then, so going from unsuccessful people hope for the best to successful people face the facts and build upon them is just uh, such a good piece. Kind of the last piece I want to, um, draw our attention to is Jack Welch's six rules for successful leadership. And this is on uh, page 20 of the mastermind guide. Um, but he, it gives six pieces there. And I'm kind of a fan of Jack Welch's uh, from the nineties. Uh, I was in six Sigma in the late nineties and early two thousands and Jack Welch and um, 
GE, I mean, they, they were kind of the, the Mecca, so to speak for uh, Six Sigma and for process improvement. And, you know, Jack just brought such a realistic uh, thinking process to GE and, you know, he's been criticized on a lot of hands for the directness of the way he uh, approached it. But boy, you talk about getting results. Uh, here's a man who uh, really led that uh, team very well. And uh, just, I worked with, you know, being in that world of Six Sigma, I was able to work with a number of people that were trained and worked for the, uh, were trained in GE and worked for GE. And uh, there was definitely a leadership culture that was built there, a uh, just a, a focus on building people and helping them be ready for the challenges that they would face. And you know, every once in a while, I come across some good companies uh, that really want to invest in their people. And it's, it's just a joy to work with those kind of people and those kind of companies. But uh, his six rules here were control your destiny or somebody else will. So figure out uh, what, what you're going to do and don't, you know, cause if you don't, somebody else is going to put demands on your business that you wouldn't have chosen face reality as it is not as it was, or as you wish it were be candid with everyone. Don't manage lead change before you have to. If you don't have a competitive edge, don't compete. And uh, I think number six, if you're not familiar, he basically took each of the business units across all of GE and it says, if you are not number one or number two in your sector, we're closing it down. And so if they weren't the obvious winner in, in every area they were at, they pretty much shut those down throughout the nineties. And again, you took a company that was very diversified all over the place, doing a million different things. They got very focused on, you know, being very specific about what they were doing and boy, they sure had amazing results through the nineties. Do you guys all have those six up in front of you or have reference to those? Yes. I will so, once I print that guide. Yes. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. So, yeah. And just in going over there, did any of those stick out to you as something that, boy, that, that is such a true concept or something that really felt good or something that maybe, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. What do you guys think? No, I've heard those before, and I think they they all are correct. I mean, it's like with life. You control your destiny or someone else will. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you can go into business for yourself, or you can go into business with someone else as being an employee. And if you are, then they get to tell you what, where, when, and how. Uh -huh. <laughs> You know, and then I like the don't manage lead. I've heard that stated a different way. You lead people and manage things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Like that. Thanks, Alex. You know, for me, the, the first one, control your destiny or someone else will. And then the other one, number five, change before you have to. Um, I guess the proactive nature of, of both of those really appeals to me. I, I've always been one to kind of lean forward a little bit and try to make sure that I was trying to be proactive or being intentional about what was going on in my life and really defining, you know, this is what I want to do and this is where I want to go and uh, trying to make that happen. So th those were two 
that, like you said, Alex, I think they all ring true, but those are definitely two that really stick out to me. And, uh, you know, probably one I think is difficult for most people, but I think it's just a, a terrific principle was number three, be candid with everyone. And boy, sometimes it's hard to tell somebody or, or face somebody with, like we just talked about, with, with that bitter truth that you know will help them. And, but at the same time, you know, it's probably going to hurt them to hear it from you. Um, boy, that's always, at least for me, it's often very tough to say those things. Mm-hmm. And well, the one thing that always helps me is, is I tell myself, you know, if they will take this to heart, and if, you know, if I come across with the best intention, if, if my intention is not to beat them up, but it is to build them up, yep. then, then I can be candid with them with this assurance that I'm going to do it with the very best intention I can. I'm going to do it with, I loved what somebody said in last year's Live to Lead. They said, carry correction in your heart. And that idea that, you know, if you're bringing it from your heart, if you're doing it out of love and a desire to help that person succeed, even your candidness will come across as just a, a caring, sincere uh, desire to help that person. And I, I think that can soften that blow sometimes. But yeah, that reminds well, and me I of think a... too, it's... Oh, go ahead, Alex. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say it, it. I think it really implies two crucial conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and making sure that you can have those, especially in a leadership role. Um, because if, if, if you can't have those conversations, you're going to get run over. And yeah. that's, that's not a good place for anybody to be. And I always, I call it the sandwich um, method. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, some people, and I've known great, fantastic leaders that did this. And I'm like, oh, it, that's going to be your fallout. But it's, it's kind of like, oh, so, wow, you are doing such an amazing job. And then in the middle of the sandwich or, you know, conversation comes. But, you know, you really need to improve your numbers. You're not doing this, this, and this. Oh, but just, you're, you're just doing fantastic. Just keep being you. What message, like, did the message even get across? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think sometimes so many people feel like, in order to have for someone to be responsive and to be open to listen to them about being candid or, or if it's a crucial conversation, they feel like they have to soften it a little bit because they're, they're so afraid of people's feelings and, and heightened sensitivity. And, and that really, you know, as a leader, you, you really have to think about one who you're talking to because every one of your employees is different and responds to different things all the time. You can't take someone, um, you can't take, you know, employee A and maybe talk to them like you do employee B. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So. Love that thought. Thank you. Yeah. And the one thing I teach, especially on that one, and (laughs) you'll forgive me for using this term, uh, Christy, and and I soften it from what (laughs) the original one I heard, but uh, instead of calling it a, a, a feedback sandwich, I've, call it a crap filled Twinkie. <laughs> That's <laughs> good imma- too though. That's good you too. You can imagine yeah. the, ter- the term that I heard, but you know, th- this idea of wrapping bad news in something sweet, you know. Um, yep. You know, if, yeah. and, and, the, and the principle here that I think is so important and you got to it, Christy, is if you want, if you're having that conversation because you desire change, then do not be confusing 
be very direct and concise in what you're saying and and help them really go out of that conversation without confusion because like exactly like you said i've built you up and told you all the great things and then i've said this other thing almost as an offhand thought and then i try to throw something else nice in there i'm going to go out there thinking i'm doing everything just fine and this other is not that important but if i go in that conversation and and the best thing is hopefully we've had a hundred conversations that have been those positive conversations and this isn't the once a year discussion we have and that's it and I'm expecting change to come out of that, but hopefully I've had a bunch of good conversations where I've already built that person up. We already have a relationship. And this conversation is a conversation that gets to the truth of a specific issue that we need to see change in. And they walk out of that room with no ambiguity about what that conversation was about. It's about that I need to change in that area. And that serves that person 10 times better than any kind of softening of of a message for sure. So. Well, guys, thank you for your preparation and your thoughts today. Um, just for the last few minutes, do, do you guys have any questions or any thoughts? Or could is there something you're facing in either of these areas of either um, creativity or direct thinking that you'd like to dive into as a group? Maybe a question or two. I was just going to ask if you've gone over this with uh, the people at my work. <laughs> <laughs> in in different ways in, in in coaching appointments certainly alex i you know chrissy just give you a background we work with alex's uh, team i've been working with them for about three years now and we do a lot of training with with their team in leadership development and team building particularly but there's uh, five of their leaders that i coach and work with um that we do some of these things and, and definitely um Alex, one of the things we've talked a lot about is how do we take messages that need to be shared with people and get more clarity in the message? You know, what it really work together as, as a management team to define what is it that we want to share and then be very specific on how we bring clarity to that message and how do we maintain and stick to that message. And that's one thing that uh, I think every company would benefit from and do better. And, and it comes back to these principles we just talked about today. How do we be creative about the problems we need to solve? How do we get very specific about the action steps we need to take? And how do we take those action steps and make them very clear in a concise message that is unmistakable? This is what we need to do going forward. And uh, it, it's a skill and an art and it takes, Going back to the earlier question, it takes time. Um, and sometimes people just want to run and they, rather than go through the, the discipline of, of developing that, those things. So mm-hmm. Definitely. One thing I wanted to share too is uh, you're talking about the, your poo Twinkie and your sandwich method and having those conversations beforehand that, so that people know that you care that reminded me of the the old saying no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care there you go mm-hmm. yep i like that christy any parting thoughts for you no this was great this was great i appreciate being on the call wonderful well appreciate you guys thank you for joining us today 
and uh, we'll get this uh, posted up and uh, available. I'll get the link out to you guys. Uh, thank you again for joining us and have a great week. Next week we'll be discussing chapters uh, five and six. So those chapters are going to be utilize strategic thinking and explore possibility thinking. And uh, so we'll have that. So refresh me, Christy, you do have that uh, mastermind guide. Alex, I know you've got yep. it as well. Yep. So, yep, I've uh, got it now and I'll go in and get it all ready. So. Perfect. And, and I would encourage you guys, um, there's usually nine to 10 questions at the end of each of these chapters. Boy, I'll tell you, it, probably the, the greatest personal uh, reflection that you can do um, is taking some of these questions. There's also obviously some questions in the book as well, but they did a lot of work putting these questions into here that can really help you think into what you're learning, what you're reading, and, and going back to what Christy talked about earlier in, in the call, that reflective look at ourselves. Um, these are some really, really good questions. These are the kind of questions that a lot of times in a coaching uh, scenario, I would be kind of diving into these kind of questions to get people really thinking differently and thinking about how they're looking at uh, their scenarios and how they approach problem solving and how they're approaching a certain issue. Uh, these are really, really good questions. So I'll, I would uh, just encourage you strongly to consider uh, taking a few minutes on each of those questions as you go through it. It's definitely worth the time and the reflection. And it certainly has helped me as I've looked through these and thought about them a little bit more too. So with that being said, we'll close for tonight and uh, you guys have a great evening. Thanks, Kent. Thanks, Kent. Have, have a good a night. Day. See you guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay.